And we see here Jesus with a courageous faith that was willing to confront but speak the truth because there's no falsehood in him. We need to follow his example, folks. No matter how much the pressure may come against us, even if there are plots to kill us, we stand firmly for the Lord. What do we do in the wait? Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. How patient are you with God? We all have times when we find ourselves waiting for God to reveal the next part of His plan for our lives. So how do we learn to wait well? Today, David takes us to the seventh chapter in our Gospel of John series in a message called Contagious Courage. Verse 9, and after saying this, he remained in Galilee. He stayed in the northern part. He didn't go with his brothers to Jerusalem in Judea to the south. Verse 10, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then also, uh, then he also went up. There it is again. Jesus did go up. Not publicly, but in private. He went up alone. Dear friends, are you aware that how much Jesus had to do things alone? He was very courageous. He stood for truth, but he had to oftentimes go in secret and alone. That's because he knew the opposition was against him. Please, in our lives, we can't go alone. We need each other. But Jesus oftentimes had to do that to show us that the power of his message was most important in his life, even if he had to do it alone. Verse 11, the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? Verse 12, and there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, he is a good man, and others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Now, what happened was people were looking for Jesus because he'd been in the temple beforehand and taught. He had been in Jerusalem beforehand when, for example, he healed the guy who'd been lame for 38 years And people thought, well, he'll surely come to the Feast of Booths because every Jewish male has to come to all three major festivals, and this is one of them. And they were looking for him in the temple, around everywhere, and they couldn't find him initially as they were looking for him. Much muttering was going on about him. And here were the conclusions they were reaching about him. He's a good man. Others said he is leading people astray. You need to know Jesus divides. People think, we just need to follow Jesus. Jesus, gentle, meek, and mild, and everything's going to be perfect. The truth is, Jesus himself said in Luke 9, 23 and other places, I did not come to bring unity, but I came to bring a sword, a division, that my gospel teaching will divide families, and brothers will turn against sisters, and moms will turn against children, and children will turn against parents that when certain groups decide to follow Jesus, they'll create such antagonism among other groups that hate Jesus, there will be division, there will be a sword. That's what happens when you courageously choose to follow Jesus. But people watch your stand, and when they see you stand firmly, no matter what, when people stand against you and hate you, maybe even your own family members, It's contagious. People want to have that kind of courage themselves as they see you have courage yourself. Verse 13, yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So people didn't speak proudly of Jesus or speak openly and positively about Jesus publicly because they thought the Jews, the religious leaders, would come against them. You need to know these religious leaders had great power. They had the ability to cast people out of the synagogue, to excommunicate them from community life. What's the greatest fear people have in the prison system? 
solitary confinement. Even though Jesus walked privately and alone, we're not supposed to. We can't. It's difficult. So people were afraid of the religious leaders, and if they spoke out positively about Jesus being cast out, being relegated to a position of inferiority and rejection. But what's so interesting here is Jesus makes it pretty clear that the reason for their pause in not being courageous was the fear of man. Dear friends, you need to know, I don't fear any man. I fear God. Proverbs 1.6 says, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In America, in my humble opinion, we have totally and completely lost a fear of the Lord. So many pulpits just preach a message to make you feel good that God's your buddy. He'll walk alongside you and help you get through your tough times. Now, he will, but you need to know that God is holy, just, and righteous. He looks at sin and hates it. He convicts us of our sin and demands us repent from that sin. A lot of people don't want to follow Jesus because of fear of man. Even today in our culture, as we're seeing All kinds of forces come against Christians and think our Judeo-Christian biblical faith is worthless and useless as they are condemning us. Many people are backing off for the fear of man and not willing to take tough stands. Again, every follower of Jesus needs to have a courageous stand for following him, and that's going to create a contagion that will motivate other Christians to follow as well. In fact, Jesus in Matthew, the 10th chapter, actually addresses this whole idea of the fear of man versus the fear of God. It's one of the more powerful sections of Scripture I've ever read. Listen to these verses in Matthew 10, verse 28. Jesus said, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, fear God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Notice that Jesus is the one who taught this. Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, is the one who teaches us about the reality of hell. We see in Matthew 25, 41, that hell was created by God for the devil and his angels, those who rebelled against him in pride. It was not created for you and me, but if we remain in our pride and don't repent of our sins and confess Jesus as Lord and be forgiven, we end up there as well. So Jesus said, don't fear man who has no power except to kill your body, which is all temporal anyway. Every single one of our bodies is going to die. But fear God who has the power to destroy both body and soul in hell. Verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. God knows everything. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows every hair that's on the top of your head. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Folks, what you think about Jesus is going to be what he thinks about you in eternity. And if you are ashamed to follow him and not have courage in following him, he's not going to be very likely to give you a good word before the Father himself. Fear not. Don't fear the things of this world that only are temporal, won't last forever. Fear God, who has the power over everything, even the devil and all of his minions. Fear him. And I believe, folks, if we had a returning of the fear of the Lord in our hearts, we would have revival break out in our nation. We would. 
What is missing in our nation today is a casual understanding of who God is. Yes, increasing atheism and agnosticism, but also among many who say they're people of faith, just a casual understanding of God is our buddy in the sky. He's a holy God who hates sin and sent his son into the world to die on the cross to take our sin upon himself so that we would not have to. He took the punishment of our sin upon himself so that we would not have to. What a great God we serve. But for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about Jesus. For fear of what other people think, many of us remain silent about our love for the Lord. We can't. Please, don't fear man. Fear God. He is the one we should be concerned about. Verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. So he returned to the temple and began teaching in the feast of the booths. Verse 15, the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? I mean, Jesus had insights into the Torah, uh, the first five books of the Bible, and he didn't apparently have any public learning that would give him the letters next to his name and the credence to be able to speak and teach. But here's the deal. How'd he know so much? He wrote the Torah. He wrote the book. <laughs> the reason he knew the book was because he wrote the book, and he taught as one who had authority, and that's why people listened to him. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but this who sent, it is his who sent me. There's that idea again, the Father sent the Son into the world, equal in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Father asked the Son to go into the world, and the Father sent the Son into the world. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. You know, we have people who really aren't teaching on their own authority today with God's word. They're teaching to build a huge following. They're teaching for followers to amass in numbers to make them look good. They're not teaching on God's authority. They're teaching on their own for the purpose of making themselves look great. But Jesus was teaching on the authority of the Father himself who sent him into the world. And the Father and the Son were the ones who wrote the first five books of the Bible. And that's why he was speaking with such power that was causing all of them to pause and hear what he was going to say. Verse 18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. The one who's trying to say, I know everything, I'm speaking on my own authority for the purpose of making me look great, is doing it for his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. The one whom the Father sent into the world is not seeking his own glory. My goodness, Jesus ends up on a cross. How could he be seeking his own glory? He didn't. He obeyed the Father. And if you want to have the Torah, the Bible, become alive for you folks, want to do the will of God more than anything else in the world. If you make the will of God the master passion of your life, the Holy Spirit will start revealing to you truths in the Scripture like never before. And Jesus said that he came not for his own glory, but for the Father's glory, the one who sent him, and in him is truth, and in him there's no falsehood. There's another debate going on in our culture today about absolute truth. There are postmodern thinkers and others in the whole academic process who are saying there is no absolute truth in the world today. And folks, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Two plus two will always equal four. I don't care what anybody says. If you jump down from 
this roof, you will fall down because of the law of gravity. Jesus came into the world as the truth to teach us truth, and in him, there's absolutely no falsehood. He perfectly obeys the will of the Father in every possible way. Verse 19, has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keep the law? Why do you seek to kill me? There's what's going on. There's a plot to kill Jesus. And they're saying, who are you to speak to us? And Jesus says, well, you guys exalt and honor Moses, the one who wrote the first five books of the Bible, and yet you don't follow his teachings. I mean, who do you think you are? You've disobeyed his law. You're sinners before a holy God as well. Then he asked the question, why do you who are sinners try to seek to kill me, the perfect, righteous son of God who's come into this world to forgive you of your sins? Well, the crowd answered, you have a demon. Now, now what is this, folks? This is what we commonly do in debates. It's called an ad hominem argument. If you don't like what somebody says or you can't refute what they say, accuse them. Jump on them. Try to malign their character. Again, it's character assassination because you don't have a good answer. When Jesus is saying to them, you mean you disobey Moses' law, and here I am as God's only son, and you're accusing me, and you're saying that I should die? And then they say, you have a demon. Now, if you have people criticize you and say lies about you, you're in good company. They said about Jesus things like he has a demon, that he was a deceiver, that he was a glutton, that he was a drunk, and the list goes on and on. So here the people are trying to dismiss what Jesus is saying about himself and attack his character. You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? An amazing question. The answer is obviously the Jews, the capital J, religious leaders. It's told us in verse 1, the Jews were seeking to kill him. And Jesus knew that, and he knew he would have to have a contagious courage to stand for the Father. Jesus answered them, I did one work. What's that one work? Back to John 5, when he healed the man who could not walk for 38 years. I did one work, and you all marvel at it. You all marveled at the reality that this guy who couldn't walk for 38 years could suddenly walk. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Here's what Jesus do, is doing. In their ad hominem attack upon him personally, he's trying to respond with an argument from the lesser to the greater. Uh, he does that a lot. Like your earthly fathers want to give you good gifts. Uh, does not your heavenly father want to give you even greater and good gifts? Here he's doing something that's very interestingly the same. He says this, with Moses in Genesis 17, he came up with circumcision, an outward sign on males of the inward covenant that God made with all the Jews. That is what God demanded. And in every eighth day, a baby is circumcised. Then here's what Jesus is saying. Well, throughout the history of the nation of Israel and all the circumcisions that you guys, you capital J Jews do, they were the ones who did the circumcision. Uh, weren't some of those circumcisions landing on Sunday? I mean, I mean didn't, didn't you do them on Sunday? And what he's saying here is, I healed a man who couldn't walk for 38 years. And, and yet you work hard on Sundays to circumcise when you have to. And an argument from the lesser to the greater, from circumcision to healing the man who couldn't walk for 38 years. Are you really telling me that 
working on the Sabbath is this egregious a sin that it demands me to be killed? You can only imagine the pause that would happen after Jesus said that. Then verse 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with righteous judgment. That's a word for all of us. Uh, When we see sin in the world, there are a lot of people out there who have an appearance that everything is fine and inside they're a mess. So make sure you love them as you go to them to ask them about certain sins they may have. Don't judge people just by appearances, but judge with righteous judgment. Now, some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, in Matthew 7, didn't Jesus say, judge not lest you be judged, that by the way you judge others, it's going to be done to you? And he did. He said, don't judge others about their eternal salvation. That's what he's talking about. Because if you do that, that's the same kind of judgment that will be laid upon you, and you just can't do that. But Jesus never said, don't judge. He just said, judge not by outward appearances. Look at people's hearts as best you can, and make sure you practice what he said in Matthew 7. As you judge, first deal with yourself. Deal with righteous judgment. First of all, take the plank out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of somebody else's. And folks, if you do that, you will operate in the world with other people in love. Even though they might not have it all together or their outward appearance makes it seem like they have it all together, you're going to be able to judge with righteous judgment because you've taken the board, the plank, out of your own eye and gone to a person with great humility in order to correct them so that their lives can either know Jesus or if they are Christians, repent and come back to faith in the Lord. We are called to do that. It's a part of the church's life. It's not that we're never to do it. It is we are to do it but it's important how we do it in humility, having taken the plank out of our own eyes first. So the section of scripture ends and we see here Jesus with a courageous faith that was willing to confront, but speak the truth because there's no falsehood in him. We need to follow his example, folks. No matter how much the pressure may come against us, even if there are plots to kill us, we stand firmly for the Lord. And that kind of courage that will stand up to culture that will speak the truth in love, that has valid good arguments when they attack, and especially when they attack us personally and don't have good arguments for us when we give it to them. We continue to move forward with that courageous faith. Why? Because that kind of courage is contagious, and that kind of contagious courage will change the world for Jesus. That's what we're about as Moments of Hope Church, to take the gospel to the world, to see lives changed for him. To Jesus alone and always belongs the glory. Amen. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about today's Davidism. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, 
residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for joining us today. It's great being with you, Jen. Well, today's Davidism is called Overcoming You. What do you mean by that? Well, Jen, we're looking throughout this week at the whole problem of rejection. And we've said things like rejection is God's redirection. Rejection is God's protection. And we've also talked about how the greatest enemy that you'll ever have to face is you. Now, let's talk for a second about enemies because that's where rejection comes from. We all have enemies in our lives. We have people who just don't like us and reject us for a multitude of different reasons. It could be a boss in the workplace. It could be a betrayal of a friend that we thought was very close to us. We also need to recognize we have the greatest enemy of all, and that's the devil, the enemy of our soul who really wants to destroy us. And what I want to make as a point today is that probably the greatest enemy we have is within us. It's ourselves, and we want to learn how to overcome ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, the enemy attacks us in certain ways. He first of all brings a temptation to us, and then he entices us with that temptation. But we need to realize the devil cannot force us to do anything. It's our choice whether we will respond to that enticement and that lure. Uh, Just imagine a bass underwater with that lure bumping his Mm -hmm. nose. That's the enemy's temptations, trying to get us to bite it so that he can then ensnare us. And when he ensnares us, that's when we hear all all of those evil words like, you're awful, you're terrible, how could you have done that? And he wants to get us in a place where we're entrapped, we feel condemned, feel rejected by God himself, and then we're useless for the Lord and the advancement of his kingdom. Mm -hmm. So what we've got to do is to nip it in the bud, Mm -hmm. stop it before it starts. When that temptation comes, say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm crucifying myself. I'm not going to let that have power over me. And when we live in that great power of the Lord, we have crucified ourselves. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When we do that, we are free then to be the person that God wants us to be. Mm -hmm. So we have enemies outside, but also inside, and we need to learn how to defeat him mostly by saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not responding to that temptation. Mm -hmm. I am ceasing it before it starts. And when you do that, you have freedom like never before. This is so good. It reminds me of just that friction between the soul and the spirit and really living by the spirit, crucifying the flesh, which which is interconnected with the soul, is where there is life, living by the spirit. Can you can you talk more about that? I can. Biblically, we hear a lot about the flesh, and, and that really is the soul. Mm-hmm. And, and the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. So your soul is your fleshly nature. It's what you think, it's what you choose, and then what you feel. The Spirit is God's Spirit who lives in us, and we've chosen to crucify our flesh and be led by, empowered by the Holy Spirit who then controls our thought life, our mind, then our choices. We make right choices because of how we think, and then what flows out of that are right, peaceful emotions. So to be led by the Spirit, 
We've crucified our mind, will, and emotions, our flesh nature, to be led by the Holy Spirit and have the mind of Christ to choose the will of God and have his peace that passes all understanding as a part of our lives. This is so powerful, so good. Thank you so much for these thoughts today. And I hope they help all of you listeners as well. Please go to momentsofhopechurch.org if you'd like to subscribe and receive these daily written Moments of Hope. My heart to yours, a free gift to you to begin your day with a great moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our Sunday morning worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock, in person or by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. While you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. Also, check out David's weekly Hopecast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston. I hope you have a great weekend.